Welcome to Zoinks, the podcast that explores creepy mysteries, spooky encounters, and all things strange and unusual. Today, we'll dive into the real-life history from everyone's favourite holiday, Halloween. Today, Halloween is a largely secular holiday, known for carved pumpkins and scary costumes more than any particular religious observance. But Halloween traces its roots back more than a thousand years, and is related particularly to the ancient festival of Samhain. Samhain was one of the four seasonal festivals celebrated in Gaelic Ireland, and it signalled the beginning of winter. Time to take stock of the livestock and slaughter those needed for food over the cold months. In Annals of the Four Masters, a history of Ireland written by Christian monks, it is claimed that the festival of Samhain was linked to the Celtic god Crom Croc. The text tells of King Tigernmas's attempts to appease the god with sacrifices. Firstborn children, whom he murdered by smashing their heads against stone idols of Crom Croc. Samhain was also believed to be a day when the doors between reality and the other world were opened and supernatural creatures were free to walk the earth. Among these were the East Shi, supernatural creatures of Celtic mythology, which were believed to live in a parallel world that coexisted alongside Earth, while remaining invisible to mortal eyes. It was common during Samhain to appease the East Shi by leaving them portions of food and drink in order to ensure that livestock would survive through the winter. Sarwain even had its own early version of trick-or-treating. Known as mumming or guising, the tradition saw children visit homes door-to-door, reciting songs in return for gifts of food. They would, of course, be in costumes. These were designed to imitate, or to ward off, the East Shi. Samhain has since come to be celebrated as one of the four great feasts on the Wheel of the Year, an annual cycle of celebrations observed by followers of Wicca and Neo-Paganism, and lives on in the traditions that still continue to this day. One thing, however, is completely different from its modern counterpart, its title. The name Halloween is a contraction of All Hallows' Eve, the day preceding the Christian celebration of All Saints' Day. Also known as Hallowmas, from the word Hallow, a synonym for saint, All Saints' Day is a day dedicated to celebrating the saints and is followed by All Souls' Day, a day to remember and pray for the dead on November 2nd. Together, these three holidays fall a triadum called All Hallowtide, or simply Hallowtide. And this three-day celebration spawned its own take on the tradition of trick-or-treating. Children, 
and often people stricken by poverty, would make door-to-door visits trading prayers for the dead in return for soul cakes, traditional small desserts baked in celebration of Hallowtide. The origin of Halloween's most iconic symbol, the jack-o'-lantern, is less certain, but the tradition may trace its roots back to geysers during Sarwain, who would carve grotesque faces into turnips. The name Jack-O-Lantern is an alternative name for Will-of-the-Wisp, a legendary phenomenon in which travellers late at night witness a ghostly, atmospheric light that flickers through the trees and vanishes upon approach. In its original form, All Saints Day was celebrated on May 13th, but it was instead celebrated on November 1st, from the year 835, when the date was altered by Pope Gregory IV. The exact reasons for this change are unknown, but some people believe it is due to Celtic influence that the feast was moved to coincide with the celebration of Sarwain, fusing the two together into what we now know as Halloween. Weird. Science. Even in the 21st century, when we think about ghost stories, it's easy for our minds to wander back to the 19th century. Still, the Victorian era seems a peak of ghost storytelling, to the point that the two are permanently entwined in our minds. It's easy to see how literacy becoming more widespread, and printed books more commonplace, might have helped to carry the genre to new heights. But why has the genre declined to a rather niche interest more than a century later? Well, I think part of the reason is the amazing progress that has been made in the world of science, which has robbed the public of our suspension of disbelief. After all, in the 1800s, there was still a lot we didn't know about the world around us, and that made it easy to believe in something unknowable. But with current scientific understanding, there are so many questions that can make it harder to take that leap of faith. For example, what are ghosts made of? Do they have molecules? Atoms? Electrons? Quarks? If they truly do appear in pictures, how is this possible? Do they reflect photons or emit them? In which wavelengths? All of these questions show how science has, in many ways, been an obstacle to the supernatural. But it hasn't stopped many parapsychologists from trying to straddle that line and find some kind of proof of the existence of ghosts. Today, though, I want to talk about someone who tried to do the exact opposite of that. In 1980, Vic Tandy was working in a small lab producing life support machinery when he heard a rumour from his colleagues that the lab was haunted. Tandy didn't think too much of this. The nature of the lab's business, producing complex medical equipment, meant that some machinery was always humming away, and Tandy assumed that the strange noises from the equipment was responsible for the supposed hauntings. But soon, Tandy had multiple experiences that challenged this assumption. He witnessed a cleaner in distress after seeing an apparition, and he witnessed a colleague turn to speak with him 
only to find empty space where he thought he had been. Tandy had actually been standing all the way over at the other side of the lab. Tandy himself also began to have strange experiences, reporting a feeling of depression and of a cold shiver when working in the lab. Then, one night when Tandy was working alone in the lab after everyone else had left, that familiar spooky feeling began to creep up on him. The unease was so intense that Tandy began to inspect the equipment to check that anything might be amiss. He thought that a leak in the anaesthetic tanks, for example, might cause his unusual feelings. Strangely, though, everything was as it should be. For Tandy, this was little consolation, as the feeling of dread only continued to grow. Back at his desk, Tandy began to have the uncanny feeling that he was being watched. Then, in the corner of his eye, a figure appeared, moving towards him. It was grey and indistinct, but it moved like a person. Then, when Tandy summoned the courage to turn to face the apparition, it vanished entirely. The following day, Tandy was competing in a fencing competition and needed to attach a new handle to his fencing blade. He borrowed the lab's vice to hold the blade steady while he worked, and after retrieving one of his tools, he returned to find the blade vibrating wildly in the vice. Tandy connected this with his strange experience of the night before and began experimenting, moving the blade around the room and running some complicated math. The result was his discovery of a 19 hertz sound wave in the lab, a sound just below the threshold of human hearing. After speaking with a foreman who had not too long ago installed a new fan in the lab, Tandy successfully found the source of the sound. When he turned the fan off, the blade ceased its vibrations. Sounds below the threshold of human hearing are known as infrasound. We've actually discussed them before, as they were theorized to be responsible for some of the bizarre behaviors exhibited by the hikers who died at Dyatlov Pass in 1959. There are multiple studies which show that infrasound can trigger feelings of unease and discomfort in people, despite the sound not being consciously recognized. Tandy thought that there was more to it, however. Previous research had shown that infrasounds of certain frequencies could cause watering eyes, breathing difficulties, and inner ear pain. It was suggested that the vibrations were interfering with organs and systems whose resonant frequencies matched the waves. A resonant frequency is, simply put, the frequency at which any given substance vibrates at its highest amplitude. So, if, for example, the resonant frequency of the sinuses was 5 hertz. A sound wave of that frequency might cause significant vibration within those cavities, which might cause significant discomfort to their owner. According to Tandy, NASA's own research shows that the resonant frequency of the human eye is around 18 hertz, remarkably close to the 19 hertz of the fan causing the vibrations in the lab. 
This led Tandy to his primary hypothesis, that an infrasound wave closely matching the 18 Hz resonant frequency of the human eyeball might be causing the eye to vibrate so intensely that it may cause visual disturbances, such as the grey apparition that Tandy had witnessed that frightening night. Tandy would go on to visit multiple supposedly haunted locations, showing each one to have that same 19 hertz sound wave present. However, there haven't been any attempts I've been able to find of other researchers recreating Tandy's experiments, and no one seems to have attempted to establish a causal link between the sound wave and the visual or emotional phenomenon. Tandy's theory remains incredibly popular though, even four decades later, so while there's still little progress being made to show scientifically that ghosts are real, there's at least the foundations of a scientific theory to explain that, perhaps, they were in our minds the whole time. Vic Tandy died in 2005 at the age of 50, but the frequency with which infrasound pops up as a potential explanation in various unexplained mysteries shows us that his work has and will live on for a long time to come. Perhaps one day soon, someone will expand on it and bring us even closer to the truth. Halankayak Fawa is a Tudor manor house in Rimni Valley, Wales. It is best known today for being the home of Colonel Edward Pritchard, who hosted King Charles I there in 1645. But the history of the house dates back much earlier than that, with some estimates putting its construction in or around 1530. An investigation on the Channel 4 archaeological series Time Team gave a much later date after dendrochronology tests dated the roof timbers to between 1548 and 1565. But regardless of when the current manor house was built, the site itself traces its history even further back, having once been the site of a medieval building, parts of which may have been incorporated into the current building and may still stand today. In the centuries since, the house has developed a reputation for paranormal activity, with historical interpreter Lee Jessup suggesting that the building is one of the most haunted locations in Wales, if not the whole of the UK. According to Jessup, the most notorious spirit belongs to Matty, a housekeeper who lived in the manor house in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. The legend says that Matty died after being burned in an accident, and her sorrowful spirit has haunted her bedroom ever since. The original source of this information seems unknown, and it's not certain that Matty ever existed, although many have claimed to have experienced her presence. Jessup shared one particular example with BBC News, where he spoke of a visit from the South Africa under-21 rugby team, who were visiting Wales for a friendly match and were offered a tour of the house. As they went into Matty's room, the captain, who must have been 6'8", 
he was an enormous fella, just broke down in floods of tears with no explanation, Jessup explained. As soon as he left the room again, he was fine. He was greatly embarrassed by it. In 2003, the living TV series Most Haunted visited Lankayuk Fawa for one of their investigations. During a tour of the house, medium Derek Akura claimed to have contacted the spirit of a buxom governess called Martha, who worked for the Pritchard family. According to Most Haunted research, Matty and Martha are one and the same. Although Akura's claims that she was employed by the Pritchards is unsubstantiated, and the two are believed to have lived at different times in the house's history. Another common occurrence at Lankayuk Fawa is footsteps upstairs, often so heavy that plaster has been known to fall from the ceiling. One person to have witnessed this firsthand is Ed Williams. Prior to its sale to Rimney Valley District Council, Lankayuk Fawa was Williams' childhood home, and he reports hearing ghostly footsteps while watching TV. I regularly heard four distinct and loud footsteps above me, he said. If I had to guess, I would say male. Williams never investigated the footsteps further. As far as I was concerned, as long as they didn't bother me, I didn't bother them. Williams recalls further odd happenings in his interview with Wales Online. He once saw a man in a Victorian outfit rush past him. Williams was helping with the function that day, and when he told his story to the other staff, they were all shaken that an apparition had appeared in broad daylight on a summer's day. When I was a teenager, Williams continues, I decided to produce a Ouija board. Using a glass and hoping to see a spirit spell out a message, Williams and his friends were horrified when the glass instead shot across the room and smashed. One of the most common experiences recounted by guests to the house is the presence of a child spirit. Guests have reported childish noises, such as laughter, when spending time in the house. During Most Haunted's investigation, Akura even claimed to have contacted the spirits of two young boys. There is supposedly more to this than just rumour, though, as a death is said to have happened in 1906, when a young boy fell from a high window. No record of his death seems to be available online, though, except for those that heard the story through word of mouth. So whether this story is true or not, is not entirely sure. Lee Jessup, unfortunately, has never seen the child ghost firsthand. I've heard footsteps when someone claimed to have seen him behind me, he told BBC News. I've seen enough in this house, he continued, to make me believe that something exists. More recently, numerous witch marks were discovered in the building. Not to be confused with witches' marks, which are signs on a person's body said to suggest that they are in league with the devil, Witch marks are instead symbols carved into a building in order to ward away witches, similar to other protective symbols, such as the evil eye. At Lankayag, the marks have been found carved into several pieces of wood throughout the building, and it's possible that they were carved during the original construction of the building. These marks 
are a reminder that regardless of whether anything truly supernatural has happened at Hwankayakfawa, there's certainly a rich history of believers who have stepped foot inside this mysterious house. That's everything we've got for you today, but we'll have another mystery for you in the next episode. If you're enjoying the podcast, we have a whole website where we publish articles about all things spooky, from the supernatural to the unexplained. You can find that at daffodillies.co.uk slash zoinks. That's D-A-F-F-A-D-I-L-L-I-E-S dot co dot uk slash zoinks. Head over there now, dive in, and creep yourself out. And be sure to join us in the comments to share your thoughts and theories. If you want to get in touch, you can find us all over social media. Our handle everywhere is fearbyzoinks. And you can always email us at zoinks at daffodillies.co.uk. Finally, if you have a moment, we'd love a rating and a review on whichever app you're getting your podcasts from. It would really help us out. Until next time, stay spooky.